Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times, and Seb Stafford-Bloor of Tifo Football. One by one, we pass signposts on the road to recovery. One of the most significant of those points to Wembley, where, on Saturday afternoon, Leicester play Chelsea in the FA Cup final. Chelsea, under Thomas Tuchel, are unyielding. But what of Leicester and their manager, Brendan Rodgers? He emerged as a coach of some promise at Chelsea. We followed his evolution into the elite with Liverpool and also watched his mastery of tribal rivalry at Celtic. So, Johnny, do you think winning the FA Cup with Leicester represents the next but also the most natural step in his career? Yeah, it does in the sense that it, it, it secures him that first English trophy, big English trophy. Although actually, you know, as, as someone that, that, that knows many, many Leicester fans, lives in Leicester, I actually think Leicester winning the FA Cup should just be seen by itself because this is the, the holy grail for Leicester as a football club. You know, you go back to the, the, the 60s and, and the FA Cup, which brought them, you know, two or three losing finals was... Was the thing they weren't even, you know, of course, they couldn't even dream about winning the league in those days. It was, it was the FA, and the FA Cup's got a mystique about it for 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 Leicester. Of course, you know, it's, now it's the only thing they haven't won, basically, apart from the Champions League. But um, it would be an incredible achievement just in itself. And I know, you know, I know, I know friends who would say that they would rather win the FA Cup than get into the Champions League this year. So it just, it would just be an enormous achievement in itself for that football club. But it would give Brendan that extra layer in his career because it would, it would, I guess, prove that having gone away and become a winner in Scotland, he's now a winner in England. I think the quality of his coaching and the teams he produces is, is surely beyond question. Now, if there's a little question mark, it's, it is that, does he get over the line? And I guess there's the ghosts of 2013, 14, the Liverpool are still around in many people's minds. And what he did north of the border was 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 absolutely sensational. I mean, and you know, you, of course, we expect Rangers and Celtic to to win lots and lots of stuff, but to have, to win eight trophies out of eight and dominate the way he did was and and while while re reteaching the football at the same time was was and developing players was was remarkable. But until this, you know the way the way English football works, until people see it in front of them, what you do in a foreign country doesn't really count, does it? 
No, but as you said in your piece at the weekend, you know, he he, he is someone who's, who's turned down Spurs and Arsenal, and he, he'll probably going to fulfil himself at Leicester, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, I mean that, that that piece caused me a bit of heartache because I was supposed to be off on Saturday, and um, I, <laughs> my my job for the week was to write a Brendan Rodgers piece, which I lovingly compiled, and it was uh, it was a it was a very glowing piece. Uh, I'd, I'd literally just finished it and sat down to watch Leicester v Newcastle, <laughs> and then um, went to bed in a bit of a bad mood, knowing that that what I had to do on Saturday involved a bit of a rewrite. So it was still a glowing piece, but I had to kind of maybe uh, I don't know dim the glow a little bit. Um, but uh, but but yeah, I mean he he um, well, well you know this this is the progression for. For Brendan, that I think I think you've got to start, you know, back at Swansea, and I know he sees this as a kind of poetic thing that he's going back to Wembley ten years, almost the day after he was there with Swansea in the in the Championship playoff final in twenty eleven when he when he beat Reading, which was another of his old clubs like 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 Chelsea, and you know, as someone very close to Brendan put it to me, how else was Brendan Rodgers going to become a Premier League coach? if he had not won that playoff final on that day. You know, he, he was going to have to take Swansea into the Premier League to, to do it. That was the day his, his career probably hinged on, really, 10 years ago. So we could have another seminal moment in his career now, which would propel him into that next level. But, you know, as, as you said, Mike, the job offers have already come in. You know, Arsenal would have had him a year ago. Spurs have been sort of politely rebuffed. Brendan isn't short of confidence. I think he thinks he can do better than that long term. But in the meantime, he can fulfil a lot of what he wants to do at Leicester because at heart, he's a developer and a builder and that Leicester team's got, got you know, a way to go as well. Yeah, isn't, isn't that the point, Seb, that what has been striking about his, his development as a coach and as an individual is that ability to learn from his background in, in youth coaching and wherever he's been, He's learned and progressed and added another dimension to his work, hasn't he? Yeah, I think so. I, I think what impresses me most, Mike, is his individual handling of players. I think this season most people would pick out Kelechi Iheanacho. And that's a fascinating example because I, I think the game had kind of given up on Iheanacho, at least in the sense of what he was projected to be when he was a teenager and, and in his early 20s. People, people thought of him as someone that would lead Manchester City to trophies. And then his reputation rather fell through the floor. And I know it sounds like quite a kind of a, a trite footballing story, but it's actually very rare for a player to fall off that peak, drop through his 20s and then have a revival. I mean, this look, I, it's too early to say whether this is a long-term revival, but he's been absolutely fabulous this season. And it's like someone solving a riddle, isn't it? Because Ian actually has always had a lot of talent. He just hasn't quite had the manager who can find the wrong, right combination, the right use for him in a in football team. And Brendan Rodgers has done that. And I think that's true throughout his side as well. I, I think Tielemans was uh, another prospect, kind of fell off a little bit. There are a lot of um, lot of Premier League clubs, a lot of European clubs who backed off the chance to sign him for whatever reason. Rogers got a tune out of him. Fafana, the centre half, is a brilliant player. Uh, James Justin, I know he lost him for the season, and that was very cruel because he might have gone to the European Championship. But excellent player, Harvey Barnes, excellent player. You see the kind of Madison, maybe. I'm not quite sure what I think of James Madison yet. Give it another year or two. But this is what Brendan Rodgers does. And 
like I understand the sort of the issues about the collapse and what happened last season, what it looks like it might happen this season, also the Liverpool example, but there is no higher praise of a coach than his ability to correct a trend that's occurring within a career or to take a player to a level previously thought unachievable. And he does this again and again and again and again. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Brendan Rodgers. I think I think also, Mike, this is something you've spoken about a lot. We've spoken about it prior, you've spoken about it on the podcast, but there have been some of the things that were in his personality, which other people found off-putting earlier in his career, they, you know, the, the, these things are, they're no longer true. It's no longer fair to whip Brendan Rodgers with some of these associations. And I think he's, as a, as a manager, it's a, it's a very interesting study in a, a kind of coaching evolution. Yeah, I don't want to get too pompous about things, but there is definitely an element of, of almost human growth yeah, when absolutely. you look at his, absolutely. his progress. Yeah. And the nature of, of his team and the the bonds he's formed with that team, Johnny, do you think Leicester are actually almost better suited to the adrenaline rush of a of a one-off occasion like the FA Cup final rather than the relentlessness of, of securing a top-four place in the in the Premier League? No, not really, Mike. I think I, I, I think the, the, the difficulty of securing the top four place is just gravity. It's, it's, it's economics. This is you know Leicester tenth in the Premier League for for revenue, and they've got a net spend of seventeen million under Brendan Rodgers over two and a half years. This is this is where they are. They shouldn't be in the top four. Said brightly mentioned Kalechi and his progress. That that's equivalent to, to to Brendan Rodgers making that football club fifty million quid. He's just got he's he's magic to fifty million striker out of nothing. But that's what he has to do to to compete with any of those top four clubs. So just if if you know it might be seen as falling short, but if if they finish fifth this year, that's still about four or five places higher than they they should be finishing. And you know if they if they get caught up at the end of the season again for second year running. That's just again, that's gravity. That's the bigger squads prevailing when it really, really comes to it. So no, I, 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 I don't think, and I think there's a consistency about their football. You know, apart from against Newcastle, which was probably the worst performance <laughs> in, a, in a couple of years. So you know, I, well, what I mean by that is, I, I, I think the, the, the one-off occasion isn't something that they'll necessarily be a different Leicester for. One thing he's added to his coaching is maybe a bit more pragmatism. You see how they beat Man City early in the season with about 28% possession. So he might have a game plan for Chelsea on the day, but the fundamentals are are, are still there. You know, the, the players involved are empowered and confident to express themselves in, in, in whatever game. It's going to be a fascinating battle because, you know, Brendan's up there in terms of of of, of being able to be a coaching adversary at that level that we're talking about Guardiola and Tuchel but I'm not saying he's as good as them yet but he's he's he can enter that arena in terms of of, of the plans he might have for this game and I, I love it as a matchup it's it's got a lot to it for Chelsea it would be just another trophy and for Leicester it'd be everything yeah that that coaching matchup Seb Thomas Tuchel I'm going to throw some names at you he's now beaten Zidane Guardiola twice, Simeone twice, Klopp, Mourinho, Carlo Ancelotti. And in all those eight matches, his team has only conceded one goal. We know what we're going to get from Chelsea, don't we? Well, yes and no. I mean, I I think what's been fascinating about Chelsea is just how quickly they've improved. Yes, we, we know what style of football they're going to play. But what I was expecting when, when Tuchel 
came through the door was probably about six months of sterile football, improving, more technically sound football, more responsible football based on better principles than it previously was under Frank Lampard, but not anything which is anything like as proficient as this has proven to be. In particular, one of the, one of the concerns I had was obviously Frank Lampard's brief reign was founded on a and a group of young players who were loyal to him. Think about sort of Mason Mount. Mason Mount effectively owes his Premier League career at this point or did to Frank Lampard. And somebody comes in from a different culture, a non-English coach, a German with a you know different view of the game, and already he's got the best out of a player like Mason Mount. I think that describes something very very positive and very healthy. So yes, I I know what. I know what Tuchel's football is roughly going to look like. I know how he's going to use Timo Werner, who is quite improving. Goal scoring, not yet, but his utility to this side has become really pronounced under Tuchel, even if it's just as a kind of an outlet, as a you know a quick transitional player. And already you see the bump in Kai Havertz's form. You see the improvement in, in N'Golo Kante. You see the improvement in the defence, both fullbacks. Six months ago, we were talking about the need for Chelsea to very, very quickly spend in both fullback positions as a matter of urgency. Now you're thinking, well, they're probably still going to, but they've reached the Champions League final. They've reached the FA Cup final. They might, they will probably finish in the top four. They might overhaul Leicester. And if next season was to begin tomorrow, you would have them as a, not a favourite perhaps, but somewhere around Manchester City and, uh, and Manchester United. And it's it's the thing that we just discussed with Brendan Rodgers. Very quickly come in, coming in, immediately able to kind of enrapture your players with your belief and your philosophy about how to play the game and improvements everywhere and a collective improvement too. It's incredibly impressive. Certainly so. I'll put my hand up here. One of my favourite players is N'Golo Kante. Now, Johnny, you know, you've seen him obviously emerge at Leicester. Do you think he is basically Chelsea's player of the season? Oh, I mean, Mason Mount has got to be a, 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 a contender, I guess. But um, N'Golo Kante is you know, one, of, one, of, one of the players of the season every season for me. Um, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's, I, I love him. I love him the bits. Um He's, I stri- he's a- it strikes me, sorry, Johnny. It, it strikes me that he's just a lovely guy as well. Yeah, he, he's 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 the quietest, most sort of non-footballer type guy you you know you'll you'll, you'll ever meet. I mean, he he uh, you know all those stories from his past. The one I remember him, you know, he, he used to go to training in in Boulogne on a on a kid's scooter. You didn't want to have a car, just just um, very simple life. He, he took, borrowed some some scooter and just scoot along to the training. And I don't think he's changed that. I don't think he's changed that much. I remember seeing him at the footballer of the the year dinner when he when he I bumped into him in the lobby and uh, not that you get many words out of him, but you know he was he was wearing a tuxedo. This is when he was receiving the award and clearly didn't own it. It was clearly rented, and he was wearing a <laughs> pair of white sports socks. And this this is something so kind of sim- simple about him. But uh, he's, he's, you know, I guess if someone's personality comes out on the pitch, then what you see in him is somebody that, that, that is incredibly humble in how he plays. Everything's, everything's orientated around what the team needs at the, at, the, at the moment. We know how great he is at recovering the ball. But when I watch him through a game, it's, I also look at him positionally. He's just, he, 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 he watches the game and whatever the team needs him to do at that time, whatever the team needs him to be, whatever a colleague needs him to do, he's, he's generally you know, nine times out of 10 doing it and doing it really well. If he could score goals, I mean, you know, with, with our sort of 
British love of midfielders who score goals. If he could score goals, he'd be, you know, up on everyone's pedestals. It's the only thing he can't really, can't really do, can't really shoot. But, I mean, you know, he can drive forward with the ball. We've seen a lot more of that under Tuchel. He's unlocked that aspect of his game, which he used to do at Leicester. You know, he used to be a bit of a conduit in those long counter-attacks, getting the ball up to Mahrez and, and um, Vardy. And he started to do that a bit more. And I love him, I love him. Who do we look then to for, for leadership in that Chelsea team, Seb? You know, I would suggest you know Tony Rudiger in terms of, you know, here's someone he broke his jaw against Real Madrid a couple of weeks ago. Okay, he's got his his mask on, but I, that's that's leading by example, isn't it? Yeah, Rudiger. Uh, I throw Thiago Silva into that, um, you know, in, in, into that mix just because anybody who's who's dealt with the the expectations of Brazil and a home World Cup has to have some shoulders on him. It's interesting because I, I think this is one of the areas in which Chelsea have suffered over the last few years because obviously when they lost the last great generation of players, they lost three leaders, Czech, Lampard, Terry. Of course, Drogba is in there as well. Like Drogba is a huge presence on the pitch. But it, it's it's interesting. It's almost, um, it feels as if there's a little bit more, I'm not sure quite what the right word is for it, but there's a kind of an accountability that comes from bringing players in from within. So I look at Mason Mountain as a leader of that side, actually. N'Golo Kante is more of a lead by example for the reasons that Johnny's just described. But like you, you have someone that's very vocal, who the club really matters to. And I think, I think most great sides have that ingredient. It doesn't necessarily need to be bred from the academy, but it needs to be a kind of... Not sincerity, but just a you know a, a connection with the surroundings, more of a kind of an old-fashioned quality, and I, I think it comes from within. I don't know the, the the only the only area I have a few doubts about still is 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 goalkeeper. I, I'm used to Chelsea having commanding goalkeepers. Courtois was was a huge presence on the pitch. Obviously, Petr Cech was before him. I just that's the only area where Chelsea have this kind of this slight uncertainty, this vagueness, because there's a suggestion that I think Edouard Mendy is a better goalkeeper. But then the things you read about Kepa's falling out with Frank Lampard and his kind of marginalisation from the team just makes you wonder whether there's a kind of an, inter- an, an internal pressure to kind of, I don't know, mess about with that position. It makes me feel nervous, Mike. Who who would you play on 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 Saturday? Would you play Kepa? Mendy without a shadow of a doubt. Every day of the week, he's he's a better goalkeeper. I think Kepa is fundamentally unsuited to playing in English football. I also think he would be he would be a very fine goalkeeper somewhere else. But I think when you have a lot of bad experiences at one club and one league, there comes a point at which your form is irretrievable. And I think he reached that quite some time ago. And I also, hey, look, there's no basis for not starting Mendy. I thought he was terrific against Real Madrid. Like if, if he doesn't make that save from Karim Benzema, the game is very, very different after that, probably. Mm. What about uh, Timo Werner, Johnny? Is he on a short leash? It's not so much the misses, but it's just the brain fade off sides, isn't it? Yeah, although actually, I mean, partly what one of his values is is those runs where he's right on the shoulder and with that pace he's going through. And maybe Tuchel won't mind him being offside three times a game if he can be onside once. I know, I know that defenders hate playing against that kind of striker. They'll all tell you that. You hear Rio saying that a lot on, on in the studio. No, I think there's a value to those. I mean, how 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 often was Inzaghi offside? You know, but it, but, but once a game. Which was the manager who said he lived on side? <laughs> offside, rather. He said he was born offside. Yeah, yeah which was a great right, line. Yeah. Werner's somebody that's really grown on me. It's the kind of Diego Forlan factor as well. A guy, he's got, you've got to love a guy that just keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps trying and gets slightly, just slightly incrementally better in every game. 
and he, he might end up being a, a, a 25 goals a season player. I, I don't know, but he's certainly, as Seb said, he's certainly a different player under Tuchel. He's, he's playing like he knows now that it doesn't matter so much if he makes a few mistakes that, that he's, he's got the, he's got the trust and the backing and, and the space to, to, to keep improving. And uh, yeah, he, he, what was that interview he did when he he, he 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 scored and then he missed the sitter and he was asked about you know you, you, you most had two goals there and he kind of laughed he went two goals so well, that would have been too much sort of thing and he's, <laughs> he can kind of laugh at himself a little bit as well I like I like the guy he's not a great though is he <laughs> <laughs> no certainly not um, yeah so you know there is a chance this weekend of a of a really distinctive double for Chelsea. The women's team play Barcelona in their Champions League final on Sunday. When you look at that, you know, we've discussed in the past about, you know, the whole one club policy, but this is a result of an eight-year plan and it has been sanctioned by by the Chelsea board. How important in the development of the, the women's game is it for Chelsea to win the Champions League this weekend? It's a really hard question to answer. I'm also probably not the right person to answer it because I think the people it does matter to are the next generation of women players in this country because it's a moment where you can watch it. I think I'm right in saying that it's being broadcast free to air, the Champions League final yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. So you, if you're a, you know, a, a young, young footballer in this country, you see that pathway, you see that route to the top as a woman, as a girl even. And I think that's very, very important because... I don't know, we, we've talked about this before as well, but there's a very negative energy from, you know, especially on social media towards women's football. There's a kind of like that, that very tedious, oh, nobody cares attitude that seems to emanate from, I don't know, like fragile men with, you know, too much time in their hands, I guess. And this, what a fabulous rebuttal. What a fabulous rebuttal because it's live to air. It will have probably a huge audience. I dare say that audience will probably be a lot larger than the, 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 the average ones for Premier League games if it's free to air. And that's a that's a very fine way of making a point and showing just how much these things matter from a, from a sporting perspective. Like, what an achievement too! Because I, I think it would be, I mean, winning the Champions League by itself is a, is a wonderful accomplishment. But I, I think it would put Chelsea another step closer to matching to, to quadruple, which hasn't been achieved for nearly fourteen years. I think 14, 15 years. It's an amazing thing. It's also it is a this is how far you can go as a woman footballer in this country moment. And I think that's true whether Chelsea win or lose, because it's the stage that matters. It's the occasion. It's the the ability to perform in that kind of arena, and that's uh, that's incredibly valuable. Mm, uh, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, but you take your daughters to watch women's football with mm. Leicester, who actually won their won the championship this mm. year. Do you see them taking a real interest in the women's game and finding their own heroines or role models? I hope so. I mean, they're six and eight at the moment, so they're and they like the football. They haven't quite got to the stage of individual stars of either, you know, either either men's or women's game. Leicester is another example, by the way, of of a club that uh, now that the women's side has been integrated and backed by the the the, the, the parent club as a whole, success has started to follow. But what strikes me that I mean, and the point Seb was making about. What would, the consequences of Chelsea winning this year is? I think I think the, la, the the only English club to win the Champions League before was Arsenal, wasn't it? In in two thousand and seven, 
which I think Emma Hayes was part of actually in the back room. But that that was a I was I was at the Women's World Cup in that that year in two thousand and seven, and that was like a. A, a step change for women's football that, that there was a you know Kelly Smith was in a pomp it was a it was a it was a really strong performance at the World Cup Arsenal that team got to its 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 kind of zenith and you look at the the women's football and now now that you know that's 15 years on you've got a generation who were probably inspired by that those players then so there's a potential to inspire another, another generation but also I just think raise the the bar for the English women's game because, you know, even getting the final, this, this is a competition that what Lyon win every year or, or a German club win every year. So for Man City, it would be a gauntlet. Now they have to go and win a Women's Champions League. You know, for Manchester United's women's teams, it would become the height of their ambition. Uh, so, it can, it, you know, something like this can, can, can drag girls, young girls up, but it can also drag the top of the game up as well. Yeah, and well, I suppose Barcelona are a case in point, aren't they, Seb? You know, they won their domestic title on Sunday with eight games to go. They've they've played 26, won 26, scoring 128 goals and conceding only five. So that's complete dominance, you know, however you dress it up. But I suppose, actually alluding to, to your, your, your point earlier, it's significant that they're coming through in Spain and being embraced by Barcelona. They're on the front page this morning of, of, of the Spanish press. You know, women's football in Spain, let's, let's get it right, has, has really suffered from misogyny in the past, hasn't it? So it's, it is another sign that the game is changing and almost prompting social change. Yeah, there's some, there's some terrible stories from Spain. There's some terrible stories from South America, actually, about um, a couple of years ago, say... Uh, Couple of Libertadores winner who um, they were given like a, a pot and a pan instead of a trophy or something. It was something dreadful. Like some 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 sort of. Uh, it was a few years ago now. People have to look it up. But it was it was um, if it if it sounds too stupid to believe to believe, I'm afraid uh, it did actually happen. I think Mike, the Barcelona example is instance of why the sports club model, which you find in Europe, is beneficial. The all inclusive model. It's obviously something that exists a lot in Germany. You have a lot of sports under the same banner albeit with a few sort of distinctions here and there, but that that togetherness, that feeling that you are part of the same club, yes, that kind of, that results in kind of press coverage that, that you've mentioned there, but also this idea that everything matters in the same way, that it's not like, I, I still feel in this country as if women's football is a little bit, is thought of as a little bit of an appendage for, for some clubs. It's something that they kind of have to have, but they don't really want to nourish properly. That's gradually changing. I accept that. But there have been some very, very large clubs, not just in England, but in Spain too, who pretty late to the game. You know, I'll, I'll stop there because I, I just think it's sort of until a few clubs realise, oh, maybe we can make some money out of this. It wasn't really something they were, they were willing to invest in as a sporting enterprise. And that's very, very sad. And also, you know, as as the kind of the, the attention that Chelsea and Manchester City have garnered and Barcelona are garnering now, it was a mistake. It was a mistake to think like that. And it's it's good to see that kind of thing being corrected, even if it does take a bit of time. Mm, yeah, to be fair to Arsenal, they they have for got behind the women's certain. game. Yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to you know, almost sum up, actually, the fallout on the men's side. You know, Arsenal have failed to qualify for the Champions League for the fifth season running. Uh, frankly, the the way they left the, the, the Europa League was shambolic. 
Mikel Arteta, Johnny, do you think he's been damaged beyond repair? Although it seems that he's going to be given a bit more time early next season. No, I don't. I don't think he's been damaged beyond repair. Partly because he's he's got a bit of a steely self confidence about about him, um, which may or may not be misplaced. Let's face it. You know, we have to reserve judgment after the last few months of where he is as a coach. That exit was frightening in 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 its in how supine Arsenal were. Outplayed in the first game, completely outplayed, and you expected even even on even it just just on on a visceral level you expected a uh, something in the second leg and didn't get it at all. So that 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 spoke to me of somebody that's not getting through to his players. I'm afraid some a disconnect and a, a lack of meaning or a lack of identity generally. If you can't fight for a prize like that, that's that's worrying. So there's a lot of questions, but he's kind of like. Almost the sort of last man standing element where there's so much wreckage at Arsenal that they need somebody, they need some people to to try and cling on to that are going to bring them forward. They've got young players that they can see might help them do that. I don't think they've got any option at the moment but to hope that Arteta can develop and bring them through that as well. And and let's face it, a year ago he was winning the FA Cup and he was 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 bringing improvement and identity. So. It might be that this is a second album syndrome. This might be a second season where he's still making mistakes on the job and he'll come back stronger. Arsenal have got to hope that. They don't have the money to go out and hire a great new coach. You know, we mentioned Brendan Rodgers turning them down earlier. They're not seen as the big job anymore. There's a lot of work needs to be done on that squad. They don't have the European income. They've got an owner who has always gone for the self-sustaining model or whatever. Cronky, Cronky des- <laughs> describes his uh, <laughs> the Cronkies. Yeah, so, so there's this is that there's there's a it's going to be a long way back for them, and uh, at the moment, I don't think the manager is the greatest of their problems. So they probably should keep him and try and sort a few other things out first. Mm. At the risk of intruding on private grief, Seb Spurs. Yeah, who's in yeah. who's in the frame for that job? Do you think? <sighs> I will answer the question, but it's, it's, it's as Johnny's just talked about Arsenal and talked about sort of Mikel Arteta being kind of problem seven of 19. It's the same at Tottenham. It's just not the point at the moment. It's a, there's been no communication with the fans really in the aftermath of the Super League decision and then reversal. Over the weekend, they were just before the weekend, they announced they were going to charge 10,000 fans, 60 pounds to, to go to a tier <laughs> two game. Like it's, if you were, if you were trying to, if you were trying to antagonize a fan base, this is kind of your, the pattern of behavior that you would, you would follow. And um, Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust have called for the resignation of the executive board at Tottenham. And I agree with them. Like it's shambles. It's, I, I can also feel it fracturing my relationship with my football club because of how badly this is been handled i i don't care about the winning and losing i'm too old i you know I, it, it just doesn't matter in the same way to me i care about how a football club makes you feel so i'm not i'm not at a point where i, I really care about what they do with a manager yet i just it just doesn't you know i give it to ryan mason for all i care nice guy gets it says the right things you know it, it doesn't matter like what matters at the moment is the football club has a bit of a look in the mirror and I'm trying really hard not to swear when I talk about this. It's not, it doesn't come naturally to me. Um, but it's um, it's a disgrace. And I know that's an overused word in football, particularly in English football and particularly at the top of the Premier League. But it's embarrassing. 
yeah, I mean, at the moment, the manager is, again, yeah, problem 12 of many, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, I feel your pain. It's more sort of visceral anger than pain. I, I just, I haven't processed <laughs> it. You know, I maybe I'll, I'll see someone to talk talk these things through at some point. All right, all right, then. I understand <laughs> your anger because what strikes me is, you know, when will those in positions of influence at the top of English football ever learn about the intrinsic importance of their fans and also the wider impact of the pandemic. You don't have to be a card-carrying cynic to doubt it, but what's clear to me is that the ignorance and the arrogance behind the whole Super League concept, it hasn't been eradicated or answered or even camouflaged. With those ticket prices that you were talking about, Seb, it's just emerged that the first opportunity, you know, the, the, the subtext is the fans are there to be patronised, fobbed off with a bit of false contrition. Taxed, Mike. The fans are there to be taxed. And exploited. Yeah. Now, so listeners, what do you think? Have you had enough? Please let me know. But in the meantime, thanks to Seb and Johnny for their insight and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.